Hello and welcome to Sports Dirt, home of the hot takes and land of the... I'm going to start talking more shit about some of my favorite baseball players because last week or the week before, I talked shit about Giancarlo Stanton and now he's the best hitter in fucking planet Earth. <laughs> oh my goodness, man. He hit a bomb like 20 minutes ago too. This guy cannot get out. My name is Dan. I'm here with my cousin, Joshy. Josh, how's it going, buddy? Good. That was um, that was a much like longer and like less specific kind of catchphrase intros we had, but I get it. I mean, it's funny when you have like a very, very like you know, intense, serene opinion about somebody and they absolutely just clap your lips and they don't even know us at all. It just, so it makes it like, just feel, I don't know, somehow so much worse. Like it's like Randall Grichuk might be like the second best (laughs) Blue Jay on the team. And all I've done is talk shit about him. But before we get into the specifics last week, uh, I called uh, Izzy in our corrections department, no correction. So we're just going to get right into it. NHL, we saw some old time hockey. All right. This week, before we get into what happened On Wednesday night between the Caps and the Rangers, I want to set a little bit of the tone, right? So Monday night, uh, you know, Tom Wilson gets into a little bit of a scuffle. He ends up kind of cross-checking Pavel Buchnevich in the back of the head when he's not even looking at him on the ice. He ends up ragdolling the very small Artemi Panarin, which Panarin is now out uh, for the season. Mind you, they only had a couple games left, so, you know, he's just... But caused him injury. Um... After that game, he is not suspended by the NHL. He is just fined. And Busnevich instead is actually suspended for his cross-check in that game. It's kind of just a weird kerfuffle of, of violence and an angry Tom Wilson. The Rangers end up saying after uh, you know all the decisions come to light that they want George Peros to be fired, um, that he's unfit for the role, that this is ridiculous. And obviously, uh, for people that don't know, he is the head of uh, the Department for Player Safety. It's a little bit weird because he is, um, you know, I don't want to use the term goon, but uh, George Peros was a tough guy back in the day. So is it kind of one of those things where he's, you know, he's siding with Wilson, just being a tough guy, doing, you know, kind of tough guy things. So what I want your opinion on, Dan, is before we get into the Caps Rangers, you know, specifically, the league comes down hard on the Rangers for talking shit about George Perrow saying that he needs to be fired. They find the team $250,000. Do you think that, obviously the league has done similar stuff like this before, but do you think that it's right? Do, do you think the league has the right to control the voice of all of its so-called independent teams and their their executives. How do you feel about that fine? Well, I don't know. You know, you have to look at it like the NHL allows these nutcases like uh, James Dolan to own teams. You have to think that they're not going to keep their mouth shut all the time, right? And especially when it comes to something that would affect their team like that. Um, but it sorts, I don't know, it sort of sets a bad tone. Like you can't speak. I didn't think they said anything that was overly, you know, and, and, you know, overly kind of inflammatory, I guess, to, to, to Paros. But, um, at the same time, it's like the league can understand that it's a heated moment. Yes. It's not professional. Okay. Uh, yes, they, they fired their, you know, GM and president. Mm-hmm. right after that right um so obviously there's a disconnect between maybe ownership and, and and you know the front office what kind of message they wanted to send after that but kind of coming down on them with a big fat fine like that of course it's not fat in the grand scheme of you know the new york rangers or really any sports franchise but you know right. in in relativity to you know tom wilson i know it's an individual player versus an organization but when you have those kind of back-to-back 
minor punishment and then something that people didn't really expect, uh, kind of larger than expected punishment, you're sort of setting like a totalitarian government tone here. Like you're going to control that strictly what teams can say. Now, I don't want a world where, you know, teams can come out and just talk shit about executives. Of course not. But I feel like in the context of that, it's like, it's almost like the NHL is doubling down. Like this is what we assessed, you know, for that Tom Wilson situation and that's it. And you've doubled down or you question it or whatever. Even if your player, Artemi Panarin, one of the best players in the league, suffers needlessly from the scuffle, you can't speak out about it. We don't want you to say anything about it. Yeah, that that's kind of my thing, right? Is like I understand when teams are fined for, you know, dogging a ref because I think the game happens fast. You know, the ref is hired by the league to do a job just the same way that a coach is hired by his team to do a job. So them kind of controlling the ability to berate refs and call them out after the game, I, I agree with. And we've seen in the past, like somebody like Masai Ujiri, like going to like a public event and saying, fuck Brooklyn. So they end up finding him. I'm okay with that too. But something is wrong when the team can't speak about the executives. Because at the end of the day, the executives of the NHL's core organization are there to represent, work for, work with all of the different teams. So if you can't have an opinion about somebody in the role that they're doing, I, I, I think that's wrong. And I think that you kind of, you, you nailed it on the head. Like it's this, you know, restrictive dictatorship. Like you will listen to us and you will not have an opinion about it. How is the league supposed to improve at that point? Because I personally don't have a like a very hard opinion on George Peros and whether or not he is or is not capable of doing this job well. But the teams have to be able to voice their concerns because if he's not doing what he needs to do, if this becomes a continued issue, then you need all of this to build up to the point which would inevitably result in George Peros being removed from that from that role. So I think, you know, Holding, you know, holding the teams quiet and saying you can't have an opinion about how we run the league is bullshit, especially I think if it is done in a way that, you know, it's not cursing, it's not, you know, they kind of said it was, you know, it was just so over the top and ridiculous. That's how they were kind of referring to it. But, you know, if you look back at, you know, they're angry when they're speaking, but what they say you know, could be considered relevant, right? It's like you had mm -hmm. one of your stars get injured in something that shouldn't have happened. Tom Wilson was out of control. You know, whether or not I agree with him being suspended is kind of irrelevant. My issue is that you should be able to speak when it is against executives that are put into that centralized league role. Yeah, what do you expect? Being George Peros and being in the Department of Player Safety, what do you expect? Right. There's going to be people who agree with your decisions, people who disagree. Right. Especially when it affects the team. Right. Right. Or, there, or there's no, you know, sort of justice being served. Yeah. And I think that leads to another discussion, another thought I was having. Um, I think hockey needs to break away from hiring George Peros, the man who jeopardized player safety for how many years <laughs> is now in charge of preserving player safety. I, I just think that they need to break away from these ex-players. This old boys club has been talked about forever. And listen, every single organization every single company you know sort of rewards these you know mythical figures you know not necessarily mythical but you know these faces that that are recognizable and that they've worked with relationships right, right. it's all networking relationships and i find it funny how all the media coverage they had sportsnet had john scott john scott came out of the woodwork randomly 
in his yeah, event to talk about that. it. Yo, what a great guy. I, you know, John Scott, another guy who uh, he goes, I, I never was a fan of the staged fights. The fuck? Okay. <laughs> and, I, and I hate macaroni and cheese and I ate a fucking 12 pack last week. I, I hate it. I never was a fan of that. Yeah. Uh, you know, and then, you know, just looking at, you know, George Peros too, it's like, should they be putting people that are more like, like, let's say someone who has a background in, I don't know, biostatistics or kinesiology and can say, okay, well, this, this, as well as a background in hockey, of course, you have to have that well-rounded history of the game, knowledge of the history of the game, the inner workings of the game. But should they have somebody who's sort of one step maybe removed from the game and more right. kind of on the, the, the science side rather than someone who's actually just an ex-player? I'm not saying that ex-players can't have that background. Of course they can. Yeah. But perhaps maybe the Department of Player Safety needs sort of a kind of reworking in that sense. Am I making sense? Do you know what I'm trying to say? Yeah, yeah. I actually, you know what? It's not something that I really thought of in regards to this specific role. Because I think that if you were going to play devil's advocate, you could just say, you know, when you watch hockey, it's so fast. We've talked about this before that it's easy for somebody to kind of make a minor mistake, but it have dire consequences. So I think mm -hmm. they put somebody like George Perelson because he's supposed to kind of understand that other side of the game. But that being said, I think you raise an excellent point. And that's why it kind of got me thinking now. Maybe this is, especially in a role like this, where you're really trying to look at the rule of law and whether or not that person broke said rule of law. Maybe they need to have like a retired judge that used to play hockey yeah, back in lawyer. the day. You know, maybe yeah. you need like a Ken Dryden, you know, he played in the NHL and he was a lawyer, smart guy, mm -hmm. you know, maybe somebody like that. I think... Um, I think you raise a good point. I definitely agree on the boys club. I think that's something that we're seeing a lot. You see it a lot in the media, obviously, is that, mm -hmm. like you said, you know, they they often lean on guys like, you know, Jeff O'Neill, O-Dog, and these, and these kind of, uh, you know, these characters. And I think in some cases, some of them do have the ability to have that that crazy insight that me and you will never have. We don't know what it's like mm -hmm. to travel and be around a team and what the, you know, the daily workings and the interesting factoids and stories. So there is definitely value there, but I think there is value to people that were on the other side that literally studied the game and didn't just play it. So I, I, I'm a hundred percent with you. Um, so the result of Tom Wilson not being suspended, we saw, a nice line brawl, we'll call it. Not all, you know, not all five fighters and goalies fought, but last night rematch, Capitals, Rangers, uh, you know, things kicked off really, really fast. We had six fights in the first five minutes. Rangers and Capitals combined for 72 penalty minutes in the first four minutes and 14 seconds of the game last night. You and I talked a little bit before we went on air. You weren't a fan of this. This didn't excite you. Uh, it just, it was, it was staged. It was a staged fight. It just looked like nobody wanted to be there. Nobody wanted to be, it looked like, I don't know. It just looked like they were just kind of tussling for the sake of tussling. I don't blame any player though. I mean, the NHL did that theirself by not having any sort of justice served right after the incident, the initial incident. So of course, like the team's not, the Rangers aren't going to come out and say, Oh, okay. We're just going to play hockey. Like nothing happened. Of course not. So they're put in a position where they have to do that. And it looked to the eye, like they were put in position that they had to do it. Like, I don't know, it well, just uh, exploded. It was exciting. Everyone gets excited, of course. But I, I felt, I don't know, I felt like it was more organic uh, looking back at like the Calgary and Edmonton line brawls that we had seen or those big, huge fights that we had seen a little earlier. It just looked a little more, a little more manufactured this time around. But it, but, but the, the parties involved were forced by the powers that be right because there's just no it has to police itself they have right. to police themselves and at that point though it, it was 
it was weird to me to see Brendan Smith, uh, you know, go after Tom Wilson. It's like, I would have liked to see them, you know, everyone was saying, you know, call up a goon, call up a goon from the fucking <laughs> Brampton Youth Hockey League to, to, to go beat him up. You'll call up anybody, right? Yeah. And obviously there's things in logistics and stuff that makes that not realistic in COVID-19 bubbles and protocols. Right. Um, I did like, you know what I did like, though? I'm not going to lie to you. Uh, and it goes against everything I've said about everything was that Buknevich uh, cross-check to the fucking face of Anthony Mantha. You're going to attack our star player with a dirty-ass bullshit like that on Panarin? Yeah. Boom. Here's a stick to the teeth. That's and so funny. Not to forget that Anthony Mantha was chasing Buknevich that whole shift, man. He was yeah. on his ass that whole shift, giving him a hard time. Buknevich was the one who got his head slammed into the ice the night before. Yeah, true. So how are you going to chase that guy around and give him a hard time again? Like, I mean, obviously it's like, oh, a little, you know, maybe he's a weasel, you know, he's yeah. the start of all this. He was the right. epicenter of this whole drama. So I'm going to buzz him and, and, and bug him. Yeah. So then Buknevich fucking does a little lap, does a little circle, boom, pops him. Good. That kind of stuff I like. That little kind of just reactionary, boom, right, right to the beat. So, so you're 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 not super, you didn't enjoy watching the fights, but you enjoyed a guy basically uh, assault with a deadly weapon on the other guy. I, I will say no. where, where we do uh, where I do differ from you is I I so I agree with that. It did feel staged. Of course, it did. Obviously, of course. And we've yeah. seen it in the past where Edmonton and Calgary have had similar kind of disputes where they fight right off the draw, and you know the Devils and Rangers have done it in the past a lot of the time though in those cases the the coaches are putting out like their third line guys so you get a little bit more of an exciting kind of battle where the capitals didn't start tom wilson last night right because they could have put him out mm-hmm. on the first line and they could have mm-hmm. just tried to squash it right away they ended up choosing to put a different line out so you didn't get those same exciting fights but i will say as a fan I love it. I love it. I don't care if it was fucking staged. I don't care if they're the best fighters. We are in the NHL where it's just, it's more about skill right now. It's less about, you know, tough guys and fighting. So when I see guys that don't normally drop the mitts, even if it's not the most exciting fight in the world, it kind of takes me back to a happier time in the NHL. I don't think we ever need to get back to, you know, the Broad Street Bullies, the 1970s, where guys are basically like trying to escape a beating like that's also not where we need to be but I do miss the days of you know the 1990s where guys could score and they could fight and when they fought they fought and I think it's an important part of the game and I I am one of those people and I don't know if it's just kind of an old head is like kind of what you alluded to with the Rangers of calling up somebody older or uh, somebody tougher from like the AHL team from the farm leagues you know maybe this will slowly ignite a situation where teams will remember why they had a couple legit legitimate tough guys on their team because Tom Wilson is a fucking scary animal. That guy does not process pain and information the same way that you and me do. <laughs> so when he hits that level, like that's what we saw, right? He hit that level of anger and there was absolutely no one to keep him in check. And it resulted in Busanevich getting fucking smashed and Panarin being done. Right. So Mm -hmm. I hope that this can end up being a little bit of an eye opener to be like, what happens when we play some of these sociopaths still? And let's get a couple more tough guys back in the NHL. Let's go back to uh, to Tom Wilson being a psychopath. And what we said earlier about maybe having like a ex judge or ex lawyer on the team to kind of assess these situations. You saw him flexing in the penalty box after. It wasn't even like a flex. It was like sort of like a weird like turn your forearms inward. Like, <laughs> yeah, your, yeah, it was ro- a weird roll, flex, roll your yeah. shoulders, and he had no jersey on, so it yeah. made him look even more like a lunatic. <laughs> yeah. But what I what I what I zeroed in on was the look on his face. So this is where like a court of law would I think make make a very very good 
analysis here. His his eyes were no longer they had no color to them. It was just the iris and the pupil black, staring with this kind of empty smile, like like yeah. he just like killed yeah. killed somebody. Like yeah. it's just just a sadistic look on his face. And I saw a tweet that stuck with me, and it said, "Guys, I." I think Tom Wilson's insane and not in a good way. Kind of, <laughs> like, like just dark. Like it's just dark. So I think that's yeah. where you'd have like somebody with a legal background to say that doesn't look like a man that you know uh, immediately regretted his actions. That looks like a man <laughs> who had a sustained period of uncontrolled rage. And although you know hockey allows for that outlet to be expressed, right? Who doesn't like rough and tumbling, right? Who doesn't like a fight here there to you know kind of just. It's a whole element of the game that everybody likes. Even mm. if you don't watch hockey, even if you've never seen hockey before, human nature says two guys fighting. What's that? You look yeah, right 100%. over to it. Yeah. So hockey fighting is fantastic. I just would like if the storyline wasn't so, I guess, forced along. And it's the NHL's fault at the end of the day. Um, but here you would say, like, you have this guy who... Now, he was removed from the game, I believe, with an upper body injury. Or did he Or did he finish the game and that was it? And maybe he's out now for an undetermined amount of time. I know he suffered some sort of upper body injury. I don't know uh, uh, what caused it. But I just feel like the guy who should be solely held responsible for this whole debacle now, this involves so many players now, Mantha... Panarin. Panarin looked like a little kid that got bullied on yeah. the playground and looked like he was going to cry. Such a young guy. 50 pounds difference between the two guys. That's a lot, man. Yeah. A few inches. More than a few inches. I think like like at least seven or eight. So you're a you know, much bigger guy. It just looked like you were just kind of tossing around like a defenseless person. Uh, and I don't think that at the end of all this, with all this kerfuffle, I don't think the right guy still is going to get the consequences. And let's see what the fucking... And now, let me just go, you know, pushing forward into the playoffs. What if you're the Toronto Maple Leafs and you're really excited, you're a Leafs fan, you're a Leafs player, uh, and, and you make it to the second round, you, you make it out of the North bubble, and you're matching up with the Capitals. Now it's not insignificant worry or stress you might have. What if he does that to Mitch Marner? But that's the, that's my that's whole horrible. point. But that's my whole point, right, is that this game is a game that allows for a certain level of violence. Whether or not, you know, mm-hmm. Wilson takes that too far to an extreme, we'll leave that off the table. This is a game that allows and celebrates fucking violence. And over the mm-hmm. last 15 years, it's been moving away. But look at the success that the Capitals have had. You think it's a mistake that they picked up fucking Chara on a garbage fucking salary? Because he's fucking huge and he gets down and they know come playoff time, that matters. And that is also why, though, we saw the Leafs pick up fucking Bogosian, pick up Wayne Simmons, even picking mm-hmm. up Felino, a mm-hmm. bigger body, because they know when the going gets tough, things are going to get violent. And the last thing you want is you know fucking dilated eyes tom wilson staring (laughs) and knowing that no one's gonna fucking keep him in check all game he's gonna be all over you and then you're right what happens when he hammers fucking austin matthews in the corner and matthews is out for five games and no and and he has no recourse to 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 not do it so that that is kind of my point is like if anything the rangers this year they need to go and get fucking brock lesnar teach him how to skate <laughs> and just have him sit on the bench because, you know, I think that, you know, there's guys like Tom Wilson are becoming like, you know, fewer and far between. But I think what we are going to see over time is that guys are going to realize to play high level hockey, they have to be able to do everything. And we're going to see, I think, in 15, 20 years, another surge of a change in the game that we're going to see guys that are going to be scoring 25, 30 goals that are going to be able to fight. They're going to be able to check that are okay to get their teeth knocked out. And they're just going to do it all. So I think, uh, you know, you can't really stop evolution. And I think hockey is going to continue to evolve, but on a brighter note, 
Marc-Andre Fleury moves to third on the all-time wins list, passing Roberto Luongo with 490 wins. What a beautiful moment for a beautiful man after he goes to a team when everyone thought he was dust at that point and that the Golden Knights were going to be dust. He continues to find success. He now is only behind all-time greats, the dirtbag Patrick Waugh and (laughs) the absolute beauty goat of Marty Brodeur. What exciting news. I love to see that. Yeah, no, absolutely. And it's not only that he joined, you know, everyone thinking at this time the Golden Knights were going to be a shit expansion team, right? And here's their face of the franchise to sell a couple tickets, you know, send him off into the sunset aging goalie. And then this guy had a second chapter of his career. Like, I mean, aside from the Cups, arguably like a more impressive chapter, right? And then you see last year, I think it was during the playoffs when his agent posted that photo of him with a with a sword in his back, posted Marc-Andre Fleury with a sword in his back and said that was Peter DeBoer. Uh, the, like Peter DeBoer put that sword in his back by, by starting Robin Leonard oh, over uh, or maybe maybe it was Subban. I'm not sure. But there was some there was some internal kerfuffle between Marc-Andre Fleury's agent, who's obviously an idiot for posting anything or even having any sort of opinion anyway in a public <laughs> forum. Um. And, 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 you know, maybe not so much Golden Knights brass, but the coaching staff, there was obviously some sort of rift there. And like anything, you know, good play and winning and success sort of masks and, and heals those sorts of rifts that can come up. So we've seen that. So that's a great piece of news for Marc-Andre Fleury. I love that. And uh, speaking of veterans, actually, Josh, brand new news, uh, kicking over to baseball. Yeah. Albert Pujols has been released from the Angels. Ugh. Albert put in the final year of his contract, 10-year, $250 million contract. Yeah. He produced 12 war, 12 wins above replacement in those nine and a half years. And in his 11 years prior with the Cardinals, uh, he, I believe, put up 88 war. So uh, obviously now that that chapter with Pujols and the Angels is over, we can say that he was an anchor, unfortunately. And it's so sad because what a great player, man. Like from our generation, that's one of the last ones left. You're right. You're absolutely right. And you know what? You are even more right. And one of your takes that has aged very, very well is these long contracts for big guys are detrimental to the team, right? Like when Albert Pujols signed, that was a catastrophically large contract, 10 million, 250, nobody, 250 million. Nobody was getting that kind of money. And this is what happens. He gets to the end of his career and he just can't do it at the same level. I will say though, with sad news when I read that, um, you know, I kind of, it kind of upset me a little bit, almost like you really couldn't just let him ride out the year. I think that the angels are like one of the most ill-run teams mm-hmm. I could ever, you know, imagine. And this goes across all the major sports. Like, the fact that you have, you know, I don't want to argue whether or not Mike Trout is one of the best players of all time, but I will argue that he is the best player of this generation, and mm-hmm. you can't get that guy a fucking winning team. The fact that he is stuck with that organization this whole time is, is fucking insane. So then when you watch them, you know, designate Pujols for assignment, you know, I, I don't know. It just kind of upset me. It's like, really, couldn't just bench the guy? Like, I don't know. He, they had him playing fucking third base the other day. Like, how good do you think he's going to do? I know, I know. that, And that speaks to how badly run they are, right? And they always need pitching, but they seem to go after hitters. Like, I mean, who wouldn't want Anthony Rendon? And, right. you know, Justin Upton's another guy who's up and down, up and down. Um, and, and to not have Mike Trout have any meaningful playoff games is actually an embarrassment. Definitely. And... Yeah, I, I, signing Pujols to begin with, 
that's a hefty, risky contract. But I do think that that money committed every year has played a huge part in keeping them out of the playoffs. Mm-hmm. Now, it's upsetting to say now that finally they get rid of that anchor albatross contract 10 years into Mike Trout's career. So you hope that they can allocate that money elsewhere. But if it was any other organization, you'd say, okay, there's a good chance that they'll make good use of, you know, those savings next year, starting next year. Uh, and, you know, patch some holes on the team. But the Angels continue to miss, continue to not. Every single acquisition that they get uh, outside of, I believe, Jose Iglesias is having a decent year. You know, a couple other guys they got uh, having a good year. Shohei Otani, you know, obviously. Otani, yep. One, yep. Otani, one of the most exciting people in yep. in sports in general, yep. is having a great year. I like Rendon, um, too. I like Rendon. Rendon's a fantastic yep. player. Uh, yep. He's had a little bit of injury like, uh, stints here and there, but he's still fantastic numbers, fantastic mm-hmm. player. Um, but their rotation, like they struck gold a little bit on Dylan Bundy, but I do find it funny how they led the AL West for the first few weeks of the season. They were playing so well. They have uh, rookie Jared Walsh as well. Fantastic. Hitting 333, bunch of bombs. But it's interesting to me that now they're at the bottom of the AL West just a few weeks later. And now they release poo holes. Right. It's like we're releasing them to help you like all of a sudden, you know, who are you going to replace them with? That's going to help you dig up, back up those standings. Like the A's are playing well. The Astros are the Astros. Right. Uh, I just think that if you're going to commit to cutting an inner circle Hall of Famer in his last year of his contract, fuck, you should have just done it at the beginning of the year. Save the guy the fucking COVID bubble trouble and all that shit. It's actually a good point. That's actually a good point. I will say, though, like the guy, okay, obviously he's not having a good year, but he's batting 198. That's better than like half the Blue Jays. Maybe they should figure <laughs> out Maybe they should figure out how to get him at, uh, at DH over here. But uh, moving on, John Means... There was a no-hitter for the Orioles, if I'm not mistaken. First one in 50 years for the franchise. Um, he was an Aaron Ball away from a perfect game, which is kind of cool. Um, I will say, though, and I've seen a couple videos that would attest to it. I don't know if you've seen it, but if you look slow-mo, there are a couple times where Means is dipping into his glove, clearly putting something kind of on his fingers. And then when he pulls it off the glove, you can see that the, the leather of the glove is going with the fingers a little bit too too much. That he has oh. something on his hand. Obviously, the MLB has had a bit of a... You know, you're not allowed to use pine tar as a pitcher, but they don't haven't overly enforced it. But they had said that they were going to start cracking down on this. And now that you have people on Reddit that are literally becoming the best detectives in the MLB, I will say I hope the video is wrong. But from what I saw, it definitely looked like he had something on his hands that are giving him a little bit more tact. Um, and it's not exactly like John Means has uh, forever been an all-star. And this year, suddenly, he looks like a Cy Young candidate. So I, 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 I'm going to say... Uh, it's a little fishy. <laughs> I, I I find it funny that they um, the MLB you know they they confiscated some baseballs from a Trevor Bauer start earlier this year and they were saying that they're going to investigate it, but we didn't hear much from that. We didn't hear really much coming out of that. So I'm wondering if they just went into their investigation and found out oh shit it's every single pitcher, <laughs> it's everybody. Right. right. They probably did. They probably said ah oh, shit. So maybe we'll just let maybe we'll let this one just fade away a little bit, mm. especially when you're all of a sudden getting all this great publicity from a Carlos Rodon no hitter, from a Madison Bumgarner asterisk no hitter. <laughs> now you have a John Means no hitter, and this is all in the first month or month and a week. You know, maybe let's say five weeks into the season, we have these three no hitters. Maybe the MLB is saying, maybe we should just uh, let those guys do what they do kind of thing. Like I, Kevin James would say. It sounds like Kevin James. Oh God, yeah. Let them do what they do, you know? Yeah. There were three <laughs> There were three no-hitters and M- Madison Bumgarners, if you count it. 
And if you don't count it, you suck. Yeah. But three and a half. That's basically three and a half no sure. hitters. That's way too many, man. But I, I don't want to get into it. It's just, you know, it's great to see. I just wanted to bring up the fact that it's a little sketchy. I 100% agree with what you're, uh, you know, you're kind of alluding to that maybe, you know, it's just way too hard for them to police. So rather mm-hmm. than make themselves look like fools, which they obviously so often like to do, they're just deciding mm-hmm. to ignore it. I have a question for you, sir. Steven Matz gets yanked after five innings against the A's. He gives up the home run. He goes back into the dugout. He's given up five runs, but he has six Ks. It hasn't, you know, seven hits. Hasn't been like the worst outing ever. Uh, Charlie Montoyo goes up to him. This tells him his night's done. He has a temper tantrum, whipping his hat, smashing it around. You know, he, <laughs> Matt's obviously had a pretty good year thus far. Do you take that as like a good sign of just like a competitive pitcher that we weren't sure about? And, you know, he's confident in what he's doing. Or do you take it as, okay, this guy's going to be, uh, you know, a bit of a prima donna and he's going to cause some problems for the Blue Jays? No, I don't see him as a prima donna. I just see him as, uh, you know, that good old emotional boy. I mean, he's a gamer, you know, he gets all upset. I love that you said that like he's like a country guy. Like, (laughs) (laughs) There's a lot of, uh, you know, there's a lot of, a lot at stake, right? For his job and for, you know, his his longevity in the league, right? And, you know, when you've had such good success and all of a sudden you're feeling good, you're feeling good and you all, and then, you know, you're kind of maybe blindsided by your, your own shortcomings. It looked to me like he was more pissed off at himself. That's all, right? And they all know that that's the job of the manager. That's what you do, right? You get removed. And, and especially when the Jays' bullpen is looking so good, like looking damn best in the league right now, it's like, why not get those guys in here, stop the bleeding? Our team's trending upwards. We're doing well. True. Let's try to stop the bleeding here. Um, that being said, you know, maybe Charlie Montoyo sometimes is a little bit um, premature when he's making pitching changes. Agreed. Maybe, right? And then we saw that agree. a little bit in the playoffs last year, if I'm not mistaken with uh, shoemaker right um you know he pulled him a little early so again it's like that raise new school level of thinking I, I know there's obviously statistics behind it but you know speaking to your point about just steven matz's you know reaction to it th- that's fine with me that's fine with me it didn't seem to bug anybody in the dugout you know the young guys are the young guys you know they got there for a reason they know you know you can model yourself after that if you want to or not or you can right. take it in stride i think he should have maybe just walked down the tunnel and done it there. Maybe that's just better, but you know, Agreed. show a little bit. Of, you know, show a little bit of control. Walk off to the side, whatever. But um, I- I'm completely fine with it. it. Doesn't signal anything sort of extraneous to me. I agree. It hasn't seemed to, you know, it seems to be the first time. It's, he's not exactly mm-hmm. a guy, uh, from my understanding, known for, you know, kind of stirring up problems with the brass. So I'll mm-hmm. take it as just a competitive guy upset that he got pulled out a little bit early and, you know, uh, lack of uh, an ability to uh, control his emotions, you know, kind of led to something, you know, maybe it shouldn't have. Interesting uh, little factoid here I have for you. Mm-hmm. Um, the longest streaks of six plus innings pitched with more than five games, and this is Blue Jays team history. Roy Halladay holds the record with four games, four straight games. And now Robbie Ray is second in all time for that stat as well. What do you think of Robbie Ray's performance? Other than the fact that like physically he looks like a beast. Like he yeah, looks man. primed and ready to fucking go this year. Mm-hmm. He's uh, he's strong. He's a strong guy, and his uh, if you look at the stats, there's fastball velocity. I think this year is up like three three miles an hour from last year, and it's only been trending up. I think before that it was about ninety two, ninety three. Uh, he's a guy that I think has dealt with injuries back going to the Diamondback days. 
Um, but he's always been a stud for them, especially in, I believe it was 2017 when the Diamondbacks really put together a good run. Uh, they had acquired J.D. Martinez at the deadline, and they had Ray Day. Mm. And Ray, that was Robbie Ray's start. They celebrated it as Ray Day because he was so <laughs> nasty and lots of strikeouts. He's always known as a high strikeout guy, but now that he's throwing so hard, and mm. I love when he throws, he kind of has that, yeah. that grunt. You hear the grunt yeah. now that there's less fans in the thing, so you know he's a 100% full effort guy. Um, his pants are clearly well tailored to his proportions. <laughs> he's got, uh, he's looking good at, uh, down there. You know, he's looking all right. Um, his arms are the size of my body. He's just I know, huge. I know. It makes yeah. me feel bad about myself every time he pitches. <laughs> yeah, but then I feel good because then I see him striking out like six guys minimum every game. Like yeah. he's doing great, not walking yeah. anybody. Pinpoint precision. I love Robbie Ray. I see, saw yesterday he had a bit of a trouble, uh, a bit of trouble with the long ball. A couple guys. Uh, you know, stung him for a couple of long balls, but nothing mm-hmm. that was like no three run, two run blast, couple solo shots. Yeah, uh, and the Jays thankfully were able to come back uh, with a nice late night win yesterday. Um, so again, uh, I think we have Hidden Ryu going today. Yeah, um, three thirty start, I believe. Yeah, yeah, I believe he's going today. So that's exciting. The three lefties in the Jays rotation are extremely, extremely interesting. Uh, I want to go back and talk about Trent Thornton, Josh, with you. We had a conversation a few weeks ago saying what a gamer he is. Yes. Because every time, like even when you saw Steven Matz get shelled the other day, uh, every time someone the starter gets shelled, you immediately you see Charlie or, or, or Pete Walker go to the pen or go to the, the, the bullpen phone. Yeah. And right away they pan over to the bullpen and there's Trent Thornton getting up. Boom, boom, right of away. Course. He stands up, just just gamer, gets up, starts unwinding. And then he comes in and every time he's come in this year, you know, correct me if I'm wrong, maybe the stats disagree with me, but he seems to put the fire out. Or it seems to hold like the other day he came in and gave like three or two and a two and two thirds innings of just clean, scoreless ball, stopped the bleeding, gave the Jays a chance to come back. I don't think they did, if I'm recalling correctly, but he gave them a chance to. Uh, and I think Trent Thornton is such an underappreciated piece of the team. Very underappreciated. Love the guy, okay? He he just, I don't know, he just does everything the way I think it should be done. Whether or not he comes out and has a good day or a bad day, I think he just, the way that he approaches the game, the way that he approaches his, you know, uh, you know every at-bat, I appreciate his level of detail. And, you know, he just looks good with those goggles on. He's just one mm-hmm. of those guys, underappreciated. It's what happens. You know, you pull your pitcher in the fourth or fifth inning. you got a lot of innings to kind of come up with, right? You don't want to be, like, putting guys out, especially with this kind of COVID season, putting guys out for an inning at a time. So having a guy like Trent Thornton that can come in and give you two, maybe even three innings of, you know, good pitching, you know, that that's worth its weight in gold and it's super exciting. Um, sticking on the pitching train, Tanner Roark was released. Yeah, I saw that. It was just uh, kind of a footnote on Twitter, a footnote on all the news aggregate sites he's yeah. released and that's, that's it, it, I guess. Not Good much night. more to say. Good night, Jim Kite. See you later. Maybe Tanner we'll face Roark. him uh, if our if our baseball season comes back this year. Maybe we'll see him. Honestly, I don't know if he could uh, keep. I don't know if he could keep up after <laughs> if he what we hack saw. It. He but, can't hack it. <laughs> but uh, another uh, sad kind of footnote: uh, George Springer back on the IL, right Ooh. quad strain. This guy, I just hope he doesn't end up being a guy made of glass. You know, we saw that night where he came out and he had the two bombs in one night. He just, he clearly just showed like that spark that he can be, that elite level talent that the Blue Jays desperately need consistently on this team. So to see him back on, uh, you know, the IL is, it's, it's frustrating to say the least. It's a tease, man, because he comes back for that one game, those two games and fucking tears it up it was so fun to watch him um but i think people are upset and i think fans and just the whole situation around it is is gloomy because they've been sort of so like 
indirect in this. If they had said, okay, George Springer is expected to miss the first month of the season right from the get-go, we'd all be really, really, really sad. True. But then after watching the way this team kind of stays afloat, they're a game above 500 right now. They're fun to watch. And they're still not even firing on all cylinders. True. Right? Even without Springer, I'm like, this is a great team. This is like a must, getting close to must-watch television. Vladimir Guerrero Jr.'s at-bats are must-watch television at this point. Definitely. Right? He had a laser 114-mile-per-hour laser beam to the wall yesterday. That is stuff you just never see. Uh, just the kind of uplift and upswing the ball had, like the left fielder had his glove up and all of a sudden it's like the wind took it. And just mm-hmm. that sort of backspin on the ball is something that you don't see very often. Um, but the Jays are a team that can stay afloat until he gets back. If they had communicated that a bit more clearly at the beginning and were a bit more open with, I mean, maybe they didn't know. I'll give them the benefit of the doubt. Maybe this injury didn't appear as serious at first. But to say the other day that he has fatigue in his legs, so he's been lifted from the game, and then to say that, you know, we expect him back day to day. And then now to put him on the 10-day IL. And then for more news to leak to say, you know, they're not actually expecting him to come back right as soon as his 10 days is over. So they're kind of muddying the waters again. I think you're sort of kind of playing with fans' emotions, especially because he came back and had that phenomenal game. That was mm-hmm. by far the most exciting. You know, Vlad's been doing otherworldly things. Bo's yeah. been doing otherworldly things. I'm a bit concerned about Kevin Biggio, but that's a whole discussion for another time. Mm-hmm. Um have that little taste of what George Springer is and then have it taken away and then questioned again. Like, when are we going to get him back? Yeah. It's uh, it's that back and forth and kind of, you know, lack of clarity that I can understand fans being a little bit pissed off about. Um, but at the end of the day, you know, nobody's, of course, more upset than George, right? You look yeah. on the dugout, you see guys playing around, having fun. I, know, I don't know if you saw Lourdes Guriel Jr. after Vlad's double yesterday had a banana in his hand <laughs> and he was shooting it like a gun at, uh, at Vladdy and he was laughing and... <laughs> And George is right beside him. Uh, George is right beside him, and he's kind of laughing and, and kind of uh, having a good time. I always see him with Lourdes Gurriel, and I'm wondering if it's, if it's because he was friends with his brother on the Astros, Yuli Gurriel. I'm wondering if there's like a connection there, Maybe. like a sort of like icebreaker sort of connection. Yeah. It's a cute thing, but yeah. that's a that's a that's besides the point. It it's got to be hard on him, but to see him in the dugout at least with the team. Yeah. Right. How many times when Troy Tulowitzki was injured did we not see the guy with the team? Like, just that kind of, like, separate, like, attitude, separate tone that the player sets. Of course, injuries can be different. Troy was made of glass. He probably had the world's <laughs> best and brightest minds repairing his fucking fiberglass knees. Yeah. But it's just nice to see at least he's there with the team. They're gelling. They're a young squad. They're having a good time. And, again, they're staying afloat and being very exciting without him. So whenever I think he comes back, I think we're still going to be in good shape. So I think people need to kind of just slow down a little bit on it. But at the same time, I understand the frustration because Charlie Montoyo and the Jays haven't been super clear. Yeah, it makes sense, man. And like you said, we're uh, 15 and 14 right now. There's a lot of exciting baseball coming back. Um, You know, worrying about his injury is one thing. But like you said, we're potentially watching the early careers of some, you know, potential long-term elite Hall of Famer. So, you know, like sit back, relax, and enjoy it. Sports Jerks fans, we have a new segment for you. We're going to spice it up a little bit. You know, we want to, you know, take this shit and just, you know, spin it. You know, we talk a lot about stats, but we want to, you know, kind of, you know, let our minds just, you know, run a little wild. So we have a new segment called, what would you do? You degenerate. Okay. So this is where (laughs) we take a couple for instances and then. We're going to give our take on it, and then you let us know, too. We're going to post them on social media. You let us know. Which one would you take? So, Dan, we're going to kick it off right out of the gate. Would you take a million dollars if you knew once a year, 
prime Randy Johnson. We're talking 100 mile an hour fastball, the time that exploded the bird in the middle of the fucking game, kind of Randy Johnson. And I'm going to admit, I found this exact one on TikTok, so I loved it, so we're using it. Okay. If once a year you knew prime Randy Johnson was going to find you and just absolutely unload a fastball on you, would you take a million dollars knowing that is going to happen for the rest of your life? And you, you don't see it coming. It's not the same day. He might beam you today and then beam you tomorrow. You might be fucking, <laughs> you know, but then, you know, I guess at that point you would have a year off. So I don't want to get into the semantics of it. Are you taking that million dollars or are you walking away from it? Can I ask some qualifying questions? Absolutely, okay? you can. Okay, so does he have a key to my home? Yeah, oh yeah, he just, he, oh. this is unbridled. You could be taking a shit. You could be, <laughs> you could be like at your job, like giving, like, you know, giving the presentation of your life and he can come in out of the back room, open the door and just absolutely fucking rail one off your fucking collarbone. Okay, uh, yes, I think I would take it. It would be really embarrassing if I'm up there teaching like math, <laughs> teaching a math lesson, and then the door breaks open, just boom! I got fucking my teeth knocked out all over the classroom. I mean, it'd be kind of weird. <laughs> but I think what would happen is, uh, so January 1st of every year, I would say, okay, so I'm going to wear my, my batting helmet. For the and whole I'm, year? I'm going to shave my head. Okay, I'm going to shave my head. Okay. Um, I'm, I'm going to wear my batting helmet every single day. Okay. And I'm going to walk, you know, I'm going to go now. I guess in the shower, I can take it off, but I got to keep my eye, my eye out. <laughs> <laughs> so I, I would shower, moisturize, do everything I have to shower, shower, shower once a week, at least. And then boom, put the helmet on. Um, I, I don't know. Uh, what about something cup? in my a cup? I was going to say a jock strap. I don't have to get it like laminated or something. So I didn't have to wash it all the time. Uh, definitely probably wear a cup every day. It would just, I would just have to change my routine a little bit. So okay. until the day hits me. So say it's January 1st. Yeah. I wear the cup and the helmet. Okay. I wait till it happens. You can hit me December 30th. For God's sake, I wore that <laughs> stuff all year long. Yeah. But at least I knew I was protected and I got a million dollars. So wow. maybe this okay. is, is a million dollars. Is it paid out at the end of the year? Or you, get a, you get a million dollars up front. Okay. But he, like, whether or not you tap out five years or not in, he's just going to keep coming. It's irrelevant. Like, you're getting well, hit is, for the rest of your life. You could be 80 years old. You could be duck. <laughs> and he could wake one off your pelvis and put you in the hospital. And, and you would have to stay in the hospital until you're ready. And probably at that age, you're going to get out and he's going to hit you again. Okay, admittedly, when you had proposed this question to me, I thought it was a yes or no kind of question. But the more we go into it, the more kind of layered it is. There are a ton because of layers. Because you have the million dollars and it's like, do you admit defeat and kind of quit your job? Maybe just invest the million dollars so that you can kind of live and sustain yourself. Yeah. Do you quit your job and become a hermit that hides at home every day from time <laughs> Randy Johnson? From but, yeah, or do you thing. go and you live your life? That's the thing though. Like, let's say you take your million dollars, you, uh, you invest it in Dogecoin, you become a billionaire, <laughs> right? But then one day you're on your yacht, you know, you're, you're having a cigar, you know, you're with like a bunch of celebrities, Boom, this boat pulls up. Randy Johnson's on it. Boom, fucking wings one off your sternum. You're done for the day. They got to take you back, right? So here's my thing. Here's, here's how I put it, right? Would I, would I do it? The answer is yes. But here mm -hmm. is how that would play out, okay? I would take the million bucks. About three years in, I would start to, it would just start to eat at me. I'm losing sleep now. It would. It you know, would. I'm like, is this going to be the day? Because once you get hit by a few of them, you know the fucking pain that's coming, right? So by year five, I'm divorced. My kids, my kids are gone. You know, the mm -hmm. kids I haven't had yet, they're gone because they can't handle, they can't handle me <laughs> living stress. in fear this way. Anxiety, and I think yeah. by year eight, I kill myself. 
<laughs> I think that, that is, that's the pressure that it would put on you, right? And it's so ridiculous to kind of have that juxtaposition. I can't even speak because I'm so I'm now I'm looking over my shoulder. Um, but to have the juxtaposition between a silly scenario like Randy Johnson hucking a fastball at your teeth. Or wherever he happens to hit you, right? You could be sleeping. Don't forget that aspect. Exactly. Like, you right could be in the nard dogs. He could stand over you and just absolutely just fucking give you one right in the testiculars. And so, you know, diving deeper into like the mental toll that this might take, the anxiety, you know, your family, you know, your loved ones, they're not going to want to be near you. No one's going to want to be <laughs> anywhere near an errant Randy Johnson fastball. So Ooh, at what point, point do you take some of that million dollars? And do you invest it in security mechanisms? Do you, hire, do you hire a private security team? Do you reinforce your front door? Imagine you go bankrupt because you're trying to protect yourself from the thing that you took the money And you end up spending, spending all million dollars? Okay. All right. We got to move on to the next one. Uh, okay. We'll post that, was that We'll post that on our social this week. Let us know what you would do. But moving on, we got one more. If In this scenario, you're offered $10 million. All you have to do is get a hit against Aroldis Chapman and the Yankees. You have you get 10 at-bats, okay? So you get 10 at-bats, you only need to get one hit, you get 10 million bucks. But if you don't, you have to go to jail for one year. One year. Do you take oh. the challenge? See, this one I got to think about for just a quick second. I, I'm going to say no. I'm going to say I would decline it in the moment. Decline. And then I'm going to say I, I would immediately regret it because I'd be like, fuck, like a year, you know, good six months, good behavior. I could I could, I could be out of there. <laughs> no, no. Yeah, yeah. You have to stay the whole time. You have to stay the whole time. You can't have oh, okay. fucking good behavior. Wait, it's going to be okay. like, well, I can prison break, you know, whatever. No, you have to stay the whole time. Okay. I'm going to say no because I think that my swing is as long as the day is as the day is challenging. But what if so you just I, try to lay a bunt down? Just squeeze one out, you know? So is there are there nine defenders? Yes. Like just a game scenario? Yeah. Okay. Ten at-bats, right? So that's full counts, full everything. Can I work a walk? It has to be a hit? You can work. You know what? Yeah, you just got to get on base. Get on so base. even, you know, you have the chance. You air and pitch, you get hit by the pitch. Yeah. Okay. What uh, if we start? Randy Johnson if... smiling in the smiling in the stands. <laughs> yeah. Imagine you take both of these deals. <laughs> okay. Well, okay. Uh, you know what? I want to change this one up a little bit because I think it would be okay. a bit too hard. Let's keep okay. it the same. You got to get a hit off a Roldis Chapman, but the infield and the back catchers are you know nine year old rep players. <laughs> Okay, so they're so good players, but they're, they're okay. But they're, but they're kids. They'll get the job done, but they're not covering a shit ton of ground, you know. Like it's they not might, guaranteed. And there could be an errant throw. There could be drop balls. There could be like you just got to get on base. So errors are good. Hit by pitches are good. Bunts are good. You know. Would you now take that deal? You know what? It's definitely more appealing. And the older I get, the more that one year seems like a drop in the bucket. You know? <laughs> yeah. One year seems like a drop in the bucket. You know what? Yeah. And to secure financial prosperity for my loved ones. And, and you know, Josh, if I won that, I'd be, I'd be so excited. I'd be like, Josh, you know, here's a, here's a mill, buddy. Thanks for the idea. Thanks for tipping me off to that or all this Chapman contest. Um, but yeah, okay. You know what? If, if, if just throwing myself or the bat at the ball if, yeah. if, if, is going to maybe get me something then I'd maybe try. I still think it would it would be really, really embarrassing. I'd kind of just go like that because considering that there are major leaguers probably who are 0 for 10 against Aroldis Chapman <laughs> in, in their careers, I, I, I would try it. And then, you know, I'd have to get into the nitty gritty of the contract. You know, where, what, what penitentiary they're going to send me to. If <laughs> yeah, it's a, that's if a good it's point. A, if it's a nice yeah. place, you know what? Yeah. But, you know, we're talking hypotheticals. So, 
it's sure. Max security. Provided, provided that the infielders, including the first baseman, are nine-year-olds and have nine-year-old height. Maybe they overthrow them. <laughs> Maybe I'm lucky. <laughs> you know. Um, I, sure, I'll give it a shot. What about you? What do you think? What do you take into consideration with this uh, hypocritical hypothetical? Um, I'm going to agree that my bat swing is that of you know a 78-year-old, <laughs> um, 78-year-old player that wasn't good when they were young. So I, I am going to decline. I would decline because I think, again, I'm going to go back to my mental health couldn't probably take a year in prison at this age. Mm -hmm, So I feel mm -hmm. like either I'm going to get stabbed in jail. I'm going to go insane. Like there's too many, there's too many negatives. And, and a role this Chapman, like, cause what he would do is right. Like he's just going to throw you a bunch of fastballs and burn you. And then when you think you can catch up to it, he's just going to throw you an off speed pitch or his slider that looks like it's going to absolutely hit you in the face and then ends up in the strike zone. It might as well be a fucking wiffle ball game. I have mm-hmm. no interest in this one. I'm backing <laughs> down. No chance. I'll get a job. It is okay, but we have to move on. That was a lot of fun. You know, let awesome. us know if you want to have us bring this segment back. We're trying something new. Let us know if you liked it, but getting into the final segment, your jerk of the week <laughs> is Roberto Alomar, and it pains me to say it because, you know, the Toronto Blue Jays, he he has been the biggest face of this organization. He's the only player that we have in Cooperstown. Um, you know, for anybody who hasn't heard, there had been some allegations about an incident that had come out um, from 2014 involving him. And from what I understand, another employee of the MLB, I think that is what has made this uh, exacerbate so quickly. Um, so the Hall of Famer, was fired last week as the consultant for Major League Baseball. Um, And the Blue Jays have since immediately said that he will be removed from the level of excellence and they will be taking down his banner and retired number from the Rogers Center. And it keeps on going. Um, You know, he, he had to resign from the board of directors also for the Hall of Fame. And they have, as of Monday, accepted his resignation the one thing that they're saying is that his plaque will remain in Cooperstown. He will not be taken out of the Hall of Fame. And I guess, um, you know, Rob Manfred said his enshrinement reflects his eligibility and the perspective of the BBWAA voters at the time of his being voted in. So mm-hmm. how do you, how do you, obviously, you know, how do you feel is not a great way to say this, but it, you know, just seeing this and, and Roberto Alomar, and we've talked about this a lot. It, it, it's been a bad year for, for this kind of stuff. And then you have to assume that it's probably like this all the time and just more light mm-hmm. is being shined on it. Yeah. It's been a bad year for women in sports and their treatment by seemingly respectable figures in you know, the sports community, right? That old boys club, again, has like the ugliest underbelly across all sports. Um, But, you know, on the heels of the Mickey Calloway thing, and then, you know, over in the NHL, Jake Vertanen is in a similar situation. Deshaun Watson has about 20 of them, 20 cases at this point. It's just depressing. It's just depressing. And, you know, I'm sure, you know, anybody, you know, with mothers, daughters, sisters, could ask them and hear stories about how they've experienced similar harassment in their day-to-day jobs, right? Yeah. And so sports organizations, I think, are no different. The only difference is that sort of overt macho macho culture, right? That 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 heavy, fast-paced testosterone, you know, 
I'm the man kind of kind of attitude. And then you have mixed in with that, like these sort of mythical figures, like Roberto right. Alomar was a mythical figure. Right. Right. He's not just fucking some, you know, some guy, right. Not some, some, some ex blue Jay that helped yeah. in the community. He's like the guy, the top guy. Yeah. And I understand them not removing his plaque from Cooperstown because as I understand it at the exit in Cooperstown, the national baseball hall of fame, there's a plaque that says everybody enshrined here has been enshrined as such that they were during the time of their enshrinement. It's something, some sort of like legal code or some sort of just yeah. like kind of statement that says, you know, this is just looking and honoring the people inside the game and not outside of it. And I get that. At least they have that sort of footnote so mm-hmm. that you don't have any sort of illusions of these guys being like political, personal, or, you know, otherwise social figures to look up to. So at least that illusion's kind of not there. Right. So I understand them, um, you know, defending the, 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 the reason to keep them in. As Blue Jays fans, it's just kind of, you know, heartbreaking and disheartening. I mean... Now you can kind of say, you know, the one guy we have in the Hall of Fame wearing our cap is a creep, you know, or, or you know, a sexual harasser. Um, and thinking of the late, great Roy Halladay, how he went in sort of with like a an unmarked cap, you know, uh, you know, reevaluating that. I respect, of course, Randy Holiday's decision. Of course, I respect that. <clears throat> His widow. Um, but just as a Blue Jays fan, it would have been a little comforting to have that other figure. At least we could say, you know, thank God we have Roy Halladay, although, you know, yeah, pundits pundits gave him a bit of a hard time after his passing. It's nothing but unfortunate. Um, but with Robbie Alomar, it's just something that you have to look at and say, okay, at least the organization is jumping instantly to distance right. himself. Right. He's off the level of excellence. You know, replace that with somebody from more recent times. Replace it with somebody who maybe has <laughs> has passed and that can't fucking commit any of the stupid shit while their name's up there. Right? We've seen the same thing with uh, with you know schools or monuments that are named after living people that are good at the time. And then inevitably, some of these people go on to do something stupid. So it has to be, you know, re-looked at. Um, for this, I, I, I kind of have to think that, you know, on the heels, like I said, of Mickey Calloway working under Shapiro, mm-hmm. you know, and, and people questioning Shapiro after that saying, you know, what was your level of knowledge on the whole thing going on there? Mm-hmm. As I understand it, as, as I've read on Twitter and other sites, uh, Roberto Alomar being a bit of a creeper was another open secret. Oh, really? And, okay. Yeah, in the organization. You know, yeah, apparently, you know, female. I don't want to spread anything that uh, is untrue, but I read it all over Twitter and multiple sources were saying it's something that, you know, young female employees were told to kind of steer clear of wow. Robbie Alomar. Wow. And that's way too often, right? They, that's terrible. Why, if I'm starting a new job and someone says steer clear from that guy, he's a sexual predator. Like, that's just. I'm gonna steer. I'm gonna steer clear away from you too, the person who's telling me this, because you're complicit in yeah, that guy's behavior. Yeah, it's absolutely so, insane. Yeah, yeah, it's not. So it's just sad to say. And I, I, I guess Shapiro and, and company are trying to just distance themselves as soon as possible right. because they don't want to have that question come back to them. Well, well, now why is there this second, much more prominent figure that's kind of doing the same shit at the lower levels of your organization while you're at the top? In defense of them, I will say, you know, it's not always possible for the big wigs at the top to know what's going on in, you know, the inner workings of the company. But this is Roberto Alomar we're talking about here. You you, you, you kind of got to have an eye on what he's up to, right? Or, you know, who he's talking with. Yeah, I don't know if they, for me at least, I don't know if they gave enough information yet. Do, I, do we even mm-hmm. know if it happened while he was in Toronto? We know that it was 2014. Um, I don't know the right, location. He was already he was already retired and in the Hall of Fame at that point, right? So it yeah. could have happened during his time with the with the actual league itself and not with the Blue Jays. All to say is though is that I I like that 
the one good thing about these situations is that at least they're coming to light. Because like you kind of mm-hmm. said, this is something mm-hmm. that has been happening forever. It's not something that is suddenly new. It's just something that now is being called out and hopefully it, you know, it results in, in real change. Yeah, no, absolutely. So, you know, it, it's it's a sad thing at the end of the day, but um, of course, the, the only really real sad thing here is that this person had, you know, the, this woman had the felt that she had to, you know, come out and say it. I, I, I respect and I'm, and I'm sad that she had to come out and say, I, I am dropping my suit against him. I'm coming out just wanting to kind of let this be known. I don't right. want any sort of fame from it. She's kept anonymous. Yeah. Doesn't want any sort of, you know, further ripples from this, which is upsetting because this person should be held like to the fullest extent of the law. Right. But the fact that she wants to just kind of get it out there and then step back from it and let sort of the, you know, legal recourse take place. Yeah. Tells me that, of course, still like still victims don't feel as empowered as they should to kind of get these pieces of shit kind of nailed yeah. down. And I understand. Right. Because, again, like you have that response from an underwhelming majority or minority of people that would be saying well then don't go with Robbie Allen or don't hang out with them then you know don't do this if you're a young professional trying to further yourself in your career and you're working for the Blue Jays of course you think hanging out with Robbie Alomar and getting on good terms with him is only going to be beneficial for my career and then you have him pulling these underhanded perverted disgusting tactics that's like being a Microsoft intern and Bill Gates coming saying want to hang out and go for a drink yeah exactly maybe it'll you're gonna say no that's someone abusing their power Robbie Alomar should be really, really embarrassed. Uh, I haven't heard any talks, um, you know, from Sandy Alomar over. I, I think he's still with the Cleveland Indians. Um, you know, I haven't heard anything sort of like that. I'm sure um, pending further investigations or any sort of, you know, recourse that, you know, they got to stay quiet. But it's an unfortunate reality. And I'm glad, again, like nobody is immune to it. If you're Roberto Alomar and your namesake organization can strip itself of you and kind of, you know, never speak of you again. I, I hope that, you know, now is where the legal system steps in here and does a thorough investigation and For keeps sure. him out of the game. Keeps him out of the game. Yeah. And I know he's banned from baseball, so that's good. Yep. Yep. Yeah. Yep. No, you said it pretty much all. Roberto Alomar, you are our jerk of the week. Dan, thank you for another fun episode. To all our listeners, thank you for tuning back in. Sports Jerks podcast every Friday morning at 6 a.m. We go out, follow us on TikTok, Instagram. We really appreciate it. We're going to put out some of these, uh, what would you degenerates do? Um, you know, on our Instagram. So let us know and, and give us some ideas for different questions that maybe you want us to answer. Daniel, thank you again, sir. Thank you too, Josh. That was a lot of fun. And uh, I got to go put my helmet on now and keep my eye over my shoulder for Mr. Prime Randy Johnson because uh, <laughs> I did say I would accept that offer. So uh, that was a lot of fun, though. Seriously. Thanks, Josh, and everybody. Have a great weekend. See you next week, Jerky Crew. <laughs>